0: Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known
1: as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Congratulations, dear listener. Somehow you've stumbled across the best little podcast in Australia, (laughs) in our (laughs) humble opinion. (laughs) The Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. This is episode 197. We're an Australian podcast. We look at news and politics, things going on in the world. It's like a study of society course, I think. That we're mm. trying to conduct here, mm. and we've been doing it Finley four years, uh, coming up to 200 episodes. There's normally a little panel of white, cisgendered, privileged males. Once <laughs> again, the same applies, although <laughs> the 12th man's claiming he's not privileged. <laughs> uh, welcome aboard Velvet Glove.
2: G'day, Trevor, g'day, Paul, g'day, listeners, and uh, not so privileged. Uh, man. Greetings, earthlings. <laughs> I come to you unprivileged. So there we go.
1: That's our minority voice um, for, the, for the evening is the 12th man because he's not that privileged. Right. Well, he's the, a boomer. He's privileged. Yeah, well, he's one of I'm the I'm a boomer
2: minus all the trappings of boomerism. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Well, we've got a number of topics to talk about and initially we're going to talk about, of course... Australian federal politics because we've just had a budget and any day now we should get word of an election and you know you can tell that the campaigning has already started so even though it's not official we're in some sort of election campaign and Scott you love elections
3: I do love elections yes yeah yeah you have I all do your love worries. elections yeah um, who do I like winning this one I think Shorten's going to win um, and it's not going to be pleasant but. You know, we're just going to, have to
1: put up with it. The, um, the polls aren't too bad. 52, 48, that sort of thing.
3: Like, yeah, I like, know like, that. Uh, it's, it's a- th- there is something that... Um, and this is uh, something George McGlogin said just recently. He was talking about the uh, smouldering issue for the Labor side, the uh, franking credits issue. Now, he was saying that there were 2,000 people in every electorate that were affected by... The franking credits no longer being refundable. Really? Yes. This is his argument.
1: On average, on average,
3: there was two thousand in every electorate. Now, if you look at that in my seat of Bonner, now that was only won by Ross Vaster with three thousand votes last time, or thereabouts. If he convinced two thousand people to stick with him, Mm. then he's got the he's got that in the bag. Whereas Mm. if you look at that on purely on percentage terms that's a seat the Labor Party should pick up. Yeah. So it's not necessarily in the bag for Shorten, although I think Shorten's still got it, yeah. but I don't think it's going to be the uh, runaway success oh, that the Labor Party's hoping for.
1: Mm. That's interesting.
3: Absolutely. It's very interesting. We'll have to see what happens on the night. Mm. But uh,
1: Typical um, conservative fashion um, <laughs> by the politicians and their, 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 their supporters is just the uh, scaremongering that has started. Mm. And... As you know, dear listener, we purposefully here get news from all different sources, uh, left-wing, the Guardian, right-wing, the Australian. And uh, Terry McCran, um in The Australian wrote a piece um, saying that Bill Shorten and, and Chris Bowen have made it official and fully public. Labor has a two-stage strategy to destroy Australia. <laughs> And he goes on. <laughs> no, I do not mean cause conventional left-wing pie-in-the-sky harm, nor do I mean a Labor policy framework that threatens to take Australia to a crazy, Gough Whitlam-style future. No, I really do mean destroy, as in demolish, level, razor, wreck, and most pointedly, end the existence of Australia. This, this <laughs> is the sort of article that you get in The Australian these days. He just... Uh, basically says, we'll all be
2: ruined. So literally destroy Australia, yeah, not figuratively. Yeah. yeah, because there'll be no coming back
1: once once Bill Shorten's finished with us, is what uh-huh. he's saying. Look at, but, such- you know,
3: that's just nonsense. I mean, Shorten's not going to be a very nice president, uh, Prime Minister. I mm. don't believe it's going to be a very nice government. And as was said to me last Monday night when I was out with him, he says, uh, I said, you know, I'm voting for the Labor Party this time. But I'm doing it under protest," he said. "You're doing it through gritted teeth." I said, "Yes, I am. Mm. You know, I'm not looking forward to a shortened administration. It's not going to be pleasant." However, the Tories have done themselves no heart, no no favours for anyone other than themselves. They have buggered up everything that they put their hands on, and their last their last nail in the coffin was get, was knifing Turnbull the way they did.
1: Mm.
3: Anyway, they're they're finished now. So I,
1: yeah, I heard an interview with Terry McCran. Yeah. I'll just play a bit of it here, okay? It's kind of strange.
3: Why does my heart go on beating? Why do these eyes of mine cry? Don't they know it's the
0: end of the world?
1: Yeah, he's got a good voice
3: really. <laughs> Surprisingly. And think McCrane was a lunatic, but apparently he is. Oh, he's a lunatic. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then we had, um, of course, the thing about uh, electric cars, and yeah, um, and uh, the Labor government has come out with a policy where they basically want to aim for fifty percent of new sales to be electric vehicles, and um, hopefully, a little bit later in this podcast, at some stage, we're going to get a call from a friend of mine who's an expert, so we won't go too much into it at this stage, but. Uh, again, it was another scare campaign by ScoMo, because uh, he was saying that that this policy of encouraging fifty percent was going to be again almost the end of the world for mm. uh, for people because he was saying, well, you won't be able to buy your ute and go camping. Here's a grab of what he said:
4: It's not going to tow your trailer. It's not going to tow your boat. It's not going to get you out to your fa- favourite camping spot with your family. Bill Shorten wants to end the weekend when it comes to his policy on electric vehicles. for
1: God's sake. So we've got the end of the world and we've got the end of the weekend. You know,
3: that sort of nonsense is why people are turned off it. You know, now how many people actually tow anything when they go camping? (laughs) Most people just throw a tent in the back of their car and they drive there. (laughs) Now, Hyundai is releasing the fully electric Kona at some stage this year. It's going to have a range of 440 kilometres on a single charge.
2: Mm. You know? But will it tow a boat? No, it
3: won't tow a boat.
2: You that's the problem. The end
3: of the
1: weekend is coming shortly before the end of the world. (laughs)
3: The end of the weekend is going to be for those boomers and that sort of stuff who <laughs> like hitting the like hitting the open road with a caravan. They are stuffed, mm-hmm. you know. That's that's going to finish them. But you're still going to have petrol stations. You're still going to have be able to buy petrol the day after we all go to fifty percent electric vehicles. W-
2: yeah. Will I still be able to drive my gas guzzler?
3: You can you if can. you wish. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you will just pay for it. That's
1: yeah. all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Um, One of the other things to come out of this was um, Bill Shorten in his uh, reply to the budget speech Mm. uh, came out with a lot of money for cancer, sort of uh, about $2 billion worth.
3: $2.3 billion is what he's talking about too. Mm. And he was talking about how you're going to eliminate the charges that go with screening and that Mm. type of thing. Now, what has been pointed out since is that a lot of what he's talking about is already covered and fully paid for under Medicare, but there are significant gaps when it comes to cancer patients, mm. so he's going to comp- he's going to fill in those gaps
2: mm. I think that's a perfectly reasonable and legitimate use of public funds I absolutely think. it is yes yeah. because you know like, I've got two questions serious illness like that can financially devastate right. people mm. on, re- on modest incomes mm First question is: Yes, if you're in a public hospital,
1: cancer is not elective surgery. Like you, you, you go, you, do, you get the treatment straight away mm-hmm. if you're public hospital. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't be paying anything. No, that's right. So this is a policy to yeah, help people good. who are using private, private health, health systems. systems. Yeah, like you know, surely we could have had something that just beefed up the public system. One would have thought so. So you know, so. That's, that's part A of my quibble with it. Um, why are we supporting the private health system with this? And the second thing is, why just cancer? Like,
2: why not what? everything? Yes. Why not knee surgery? It, well, <laughs> I'll tell you a story. Like
1: when I, uh, this is going back now to about 1999 and I was quite ill and Uh, had some tests done and they said you're anemic, you're bleeding internally somewhere and not sure what it is. So I went for more tests, had um, drank this barium series and had things poked up, all sorts of orifices, you know, and uh, they said "Uh, right, you've got a problem, you've either got uh, lymphoma or Crohn's disease, probably Crohn's disease. Went for another test and they said you've got either lymphoma or Crohn's disease, probably lymphoma. And I quickly doctor Googled. (laughs) Lymphoma, yeah. And the uh, survival rate on lymphoma, if you caught it early, was extremely good. Uh, Crohn's disease, no known cure. Right? Also, I had an insurance policy, a sickness and benefit policy, which covered cancer, i.e. lymphoma, which was going to pay $100,000. This is in 1998. Hmm. And for Crohn's disease? Zero. Correct. And then, so I distinctly remember when we um, went into the operation, they didn't know what it was going to be and uh, woke up and, uh, and my good wife said, uh, it's Crohn's disease. And one of the first things I could think of was, damn, I just out on the 100,000. <laughs> and this policy, dear listener, of the Labor Party could well be a similar scenario for people yes. where you were going
2: to be, well, If it's cancer, the Labor Party will save you. If it's something else, you forget it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so if you're a, uh,
1: you know, in my position now, um, ignoring an insurance policy, but a lot of these medical costs, private health, will be covered. But if you're cancer, but if you've got any other sort of um, kidney failure, heart disease, Mm. strokes, any number of ailments that are equally as bad and costly and all the rest of it, you miss out. It's just a strange thing to divide. Yeah, I
3: would, you know, I think I've told you gents before my opinion of private health because mm. <laughs> of my exam- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. my uh, personal experience of the whole thing. I would love to see the whole private health system be absorbed into the government and then if we ended up having to pay a little bit extra in our Medicare levy, which I don't have a problem with if you had a fully funded national okay. health service. you know, And I would love to see us adopt the Japanese system where you go in once a year mm. and it's a visit to the doctor that takes the entire day. You arrive there, they take you bleed into a vial and they, then that goes off to test. Then you get some breakfast and then after that they go through and they, they weigh you, they do everything else. The whole thing ends up with you going through a full body
1: MRI what? Yeah. Every year? Every year.
3: In Japan? Yeah. I didn't know
2: it involved an MRI.
3: Well, for yeah. by the MRI to look for, look for anything that could be growing inside you. Really? In Japan? I believe it is oh. Japan. So, look, okay. you know, I could be wrong. We should fact-check ourselves yeah, on, that fact check on that one. We can fact-check on that one, and I'll mm-hmm. probably end up owing the listeners an apology. But it right. is... There is a country that you do go through, and you do go, and then at the end of the day, you end up going for a full body MRI.
2: Wow, I haven't hadn't heard about the full body MRI, MRI but I was aware that uh, most company employees in Japan have a yearly um, full, you know, full checkup. Yeah. So
1: anyway, there's a link to an article from Tim Woodruff in the John Menedue blog who makes the points that I just made about uh, the strange decision to sort of
2: confine this to cancer. I yeah, think it's yeah. just PR, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, you know, because cancer is that sort of, you know, yep. that illness that everyone dreads the most. And so if they say we're going we're to, you know, help people with cancer, it's very good PR for the Labor Party. But, yeah. of course, as you point out, it doesn't much help those who get some equally serious and equally potentially fatal disease that just isn't called cancer. Yeah. Well, that's
3: the whole point. Heart condition is just as
1: fatal, it, you know. It is the leading cause of death, according yeah. to this article. Mm. Mental illness is the leader when it comes to years of a quality life lost. Mm. And uh, patients without cancer often suffer as much or more than cancer patients because they live longer. So, um, yeah, there we go. Good point from Tim Woodruff. So, anyway... It's better than nothing, but it's still a strange decision. Mm. Mm. The other thing about what's going on at the moment, Scott, is the election hasn't been called. No, presumably it hasn't. because?
3: Um, I don't know because I was expecting, like everyone else, that he'd go and see the Governor General last Sunday to avoid this final week of um, Senate estimates hearings. But he didn't.
1: And money? Yes.
3: Why do you think there's money involved?
1: Money's involved because they can use taxpayer money. Oh, for the advertising. Yes, that's right. For they, advertising, they,
3: they can they can continue to advertise until the election is called. So, so there's all
1: these bullshit ads on about yeah. you know infrastructure, just, just advising money. you of your rights. You know, you're entitled to this and entitled to that. And mm. oh, by the way, the government's doing this and the government's doing that, mm. which they
2: can't do once he calls the election. That's very true. Good yeah. point. Mm. And have they really done much in terms of infrastructure?
3: They they've have... done a lot in terms
2: of advertising.
3: <laughs> they've done a lot in terms of advertising, you're right, but the infrastructure spending is coming. Yep. So they have said that there is record infrastructure spending that's on its way. Uh, so they're saying, you, you know, you want to keep this going, you've got to re-elect the current government. Uh, as
2: if the Labor Party wouldn't, of course, spend money on infrastructure. So,
1: so they're wanting to spend a lot of money
2: about what they've
1: been doing, but their problem is that they haven't been doing that much, <laughs> but they still want to spend the money. <laughs> so there's an article from The Shovel uh, which was... Um, New government ad, just a 30-second clip of Scott Morrison burning taxpayer cash. <laughs> <laughs> after spending more than $250 million in official government advertising since January last year, the coalition decided to try another tactic to get voters' attention with a 30-second commercial that's just Scott Morrison setting tax dollars alight. A spokesperson said that after developing so many official advertising campaigns over the last year, the government had totally run out of things to promote decided actually burning money was a far more efficient way to fuck over taxpayers. (laughs) We've been burning taxpayer money in a figurative sense, so we thought we might as well get literal. (laughs) I do like the shovel. That's good. Uh, There's a nice picture there of Scott Morrison walking away from a burning pile of Uh stuff. Which, dear listener. I just
3: would like to remind everyone <laughs> there was a Labor government prior to this one yeah, that used do to it. do exactly the same thing that this lot does. They all do it. They all do it, and they've got to stop it. It's bloody crook.
1: Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Now, militant vegans. <laughs> yeah! We, 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 just, we just had this thing where, where they were uh, blocking the traffic in Melbourne, Melbourne. yeah. And then they entered a lot of... Uh, Abattoirs? abattoirs and uh, lock chain themselves
2: to things, and very, very militant yeah. group of vegans. Um, I wouldn't have thought vegans would have enough energy to well, launch a campaign do, yeah. like that on that sort of diet, but apparently I was wrong. Mm.
3: Well, you know, you can get plenty of protein out of soybean extracts, so what's that, the. Uh, you
1: might get protein being missing.
2: Iron and other things, maybe. Yeah, I know mm. that, but
3: you can you can get that from. A, but
2: meat yeah. provides a more. Yeah, I know. Meat provides it more efficiently. Compact, mm. dense nutrient dense package than any of their vegan yeah. vegan What's the word burgers. I'm
3: for the whole, uh, it'll come to you. Yeah, you stuff you slice up, you fry it.
1: Uh, um, tofu. Tofu. That's it. Yes.
3: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: So they can get plenty of protein from there, but you're right, they don't have iron it's and that not type as of thing.
1: complete. No, yeah. it's not as complete, yeah. Anyway, this mob had plenty of energy, and mm. I can't really see that they're going to get a lot of people on board with that sort of tactic. No, and it's not going to work. Um, it, you
3: know, the whole thing was it was designed to, well, it was a protest that was in line with an anniversary of a film that was released, was it? Dominion or something like that. It was a film.
1: Mm, okay. Yeah. Right.
3: Anyway... Dominion is a film that apparently explores the allegedly cruel methods at which animals are put to death in abattoirs. Who knows?
1: Mm. We've, I've said previously, when we're looking at human rights, that there's a difference between rights where you don't have a choice and they're innate and all these sort of characteristics. So you've got black skin or white skin or yellow skin or you're, you're gay or you're whatever. Uh, what were some of the other things that were sort of inherent um with your female yes or male. gender so mm-hmm. um and and basically the right to be uh not discriminated against for those characteristics was superior to rights that you had because of ideological content where you identified with a group because of your ideology, and basically saying that. Religions are just an ideology. So they're in that second category. When there's a battle between rights, then the people who are claiming rights by innate things like skin colour, they have superior rights
2: to people who are claiming rights through some I know where you're going with this. Hmm, where am I going? Pigs and sheep have inherent rights well, well, not to be eaten by people. Well, veganism <laughs> is just like religion. It's just an ideology,
1: it's an ideology yeah. and and we've said like you shouldn't discriminate against people for any reason, and I think I used the example of because they're a squash pyre, but the better example now would be well vegans like religions are no different to vegans because these people clearly have a, an ideology that is central to their life and that they're prepared to die on the hill for and uh, you know, when you think about it, there's really not a lot of difference between vegans and religions. And if we're constructing human rights laws and anti-discrimination laws, where we're we're figuring out that there are these certain groups who should not be discriminated against, I've said previously, you shouldn't limit yourself to a particular list of groups. You just should say, well, if somebody's unfairly discriminated against because they're a member of any group, then that shouldn't be allowed. Got to be a fair reason why, mm. and um, so yeah. When it comes to vegans, um, this means there's a link here to an article, and basically, there's a guy in the UK, I think, who was claiming he was discriminated against for his veganism. He was complaining that the, uh, I think it was their, um, kind of like a superannuation scheme, was uh, of his business was was investing in things that were not vegan friendly oh, yeah. and. He got sacked and he said it was because of his beliefs in veganism. And anyway, the Employment Tribunal will decide whether veganism is a protected belief on the issue of unfair dismissal. Mm. Hmm. So... Well,
3: um, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah,
1: you shouldn't be discriminating unfairly against people because they're a member of a group. There are times when you have to discriminate, uh, like... I'm not going to hire a four-foot guy for my basketball team because Mm. there's a reason for discriminating against them. So uh, so that's a fair discrimination. In
3: this particular case, Mm. it is something to do with an investment in the pension fund, Yeah, which has got something to do with animal cruelty or something like that.
1: Yes, I don't think he's got much of a leg to stand on, really. Probably not. But it will probably be the case that they will say, well, technically speaking, veganism is a protected belief, but... You've just taken it too far and it's not really going to apply in this case. Mm. Yeah. So there's another Royal Commission coming Mm. up.
3: Into the disabilities, isn't it? Correct.
1: Mm. Yeah. So um, ScoMo gave a tearful press conference where he announced that. Talking about crocodile tears. You can't believe
3: (laughs) it. (laughs) I'm going to sound like a real hard bastard here. Yeah. I'm getting sick and tired of seeing tears right. from our politicians. Right. You know, I honestly <laughs> think that we should be a lot more stoic in a situation like that, mm-hmm. particularly when it came to
1: that. You know, it was,
3: oh, uh, was claiming something about his brother-in-law, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Look, there's another Royal Commission on as well that you mightn't have heard about. Uh, I'll just play a bit. i managed to get some audio of it. So here we go.
4: Cool. Hmm. Well, welcome, everybody, to this, day one of the Royal Commission, into whether or not the Prime Minister of New Zealand can become the Prime Minister of Australia instead. This commission was established in response to the groundswell of support for the leadership qualities of Jacinda Ardern, which, when juxtaposed with the gormless, wide-eyed personality vacuums currently operating out of Canberra leads us to the inescapable conclusion that she would indeed be the right person to lead our nation forward. Now, to the naysayers, it should be noted that this wouldn't be the first time we've had a leader from New Zealand in this country, and I refer, of course, to the Barnaby Joyce experiment. (laughs) (laughs) Now, on the topic of compassion, the world watched in admiration as Miss Ardern donned a hijab in solidarity with the Muslim community though I do note Australia has already had a female leader stand in Parliament, not only wearing a hijab, but in fact a full burqa. And I acknowledge Miss Hanson's contribution to our nation's <laughs> unity. When Miss Ardoon spoke Maori, English and Arabic, it stood in stark contrast to the baseball cap-wearing dad joke, holding his thumbs up and barking... Go Sharkies. <laughs> or indeed, his likely successor, the faceless party machine in an ill-fitting suit currently Stephen bradbury is his way to the lot. <laughs> Stephen tomorrow, A phrase from our Kiwi cousins, it's hardly much of a... choice, bro. <laughs> now, tomorrow we will be subpoenaing Gold Logie-winning broadcaster Waleed Ali for a first-hand account of the charisma of both Prime Ministers, noting that... Ms Ardoon began their interview with a heartfelt embrace, whereas Mr Morrison displayed all the warmth of a service station meat pie. <laughs> and finally, once Ms Ardoon is installed as Prime Minister, I have no doubt our great country will embrace her like we have all recent leaders, by undermining, sniping and swiftly removing her from office after three weeks. <laughs> that concludes today's hearing. Don't dream. It's over. <laughs>
1: Ah, it's uh, Sammy J. He's good. He is funny. He's yeah. very good. When's he on? Like, what does he, when does he appear? I only see him via Facebook stuff and then I have to go and look at iview. No, I, I he, he
2: pops see. up occasionally on uh, various TV shows on the ABC. Right. I don't know about other channels. Right. So, uh, so there we go. We haven't heard much of that one. Now, there's been a lot of talk in recent
1: days about China. So Four mm. Corners did an expose about how our politicians are... Uh, Unduly influenced by Chinese donations, and we had been speaking in the last few weeks, Twelfth Man, mm. that you might give us a bit of a talk about Taiwan okay. and China and um, put us in
2: the picture of yeah. what's happening there. Okay. Um, look, uh, without going into you know too much detail, I was I was um, quite quite surprised to find that. The mainland Chinese government under the the emperors, of course, China, you know, for many hundreds of years has been ruled by emperors. And up until quite recently, a few hundred years ago, they really took very little interest in Taiwan at all, Uh, which surprised me because it's such a, you know, substantial chunk of earth, uh, not too far off the coast of China Mm. uh, proper. But anyway... Uh, the first people to really take an interest in it were the indigenous people of Taiwan. They refer to them as the Taiwanese Aborigines. And they've been there probably at least, you know, 3,000 years, they estimate. But I guess what we're looking at is the modern history of Taiwan's what we're interested in. Okay, so the Europeans, when the Europeans, like the Dutch, the Portuguese... Uh, Spanish probably, and eventually the English started exploring uh, the Far East. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Portuguese and the Dutch had a bit of a uh, bit of a battle over it, but um, there was a Dutch colony established there in the seventeenth century, mm-hmm. um, followed by an influx of Han Chinese immigrants from you know coming across the Strait of Taiwan, so. Basically, that there were very few Han Chinese actually living on Taiwan before that, before the seventeenth century, which really surprised me. Mm-hmm. But apparently, they just left it to the aborigines. Okay, so so we, the, Han, the Han Chinese are, are the, the, the dominant, the yeah, dominant uh, ethnic group China. of mainland yep. China. Yep, they, they're usually referred to as the Han. Yep. Um, so anyway, it uh, it changed hands a few times over those few hundred years and eventually was reclaimed by the Qing Dynasty, if that's how it's said, in 1683. Uh, There was a war between China and Japan in the last decade of the 19th century, 1895, and the Japanese claimed Taiwan as part of the settlement. The the Chinese lost. So Japan took... Possession of Taiwan. Yep. What year is that? 1895. Yep. Yep. Okay. And they they uh, ruled Taiwan for that 50 year period up until 1945. How did the Japanese beat China? Uh, fairly easily. Apparently, the oh, Chinese the Chinese just for some reason um, had not uh, made a conscious decision to to equip themselves with ocean going you know battle ready ships right. that were. The match of the European ones. The Europeans had much faster, much more manoeuvrable, and, and the Japanese boats. had copied the European I think naval so, yes. force. In the in the middle of the nineteenth century, when Jap- when the Japanese leaders were feeling uh, threatened by Western um, invasion, the the Japanese were very worried mm. that they would be invaded by Europeans in the nineteenth century. So a decision was made in around 1860-something, to modernise. So they they changed the the government, uh, installed a new government. Um, It's referred to as the Meiji Restoration in Japanese history, where they actually reinstalled the emperor as the head of state, whereas prior to that for several hundred years had been a shogun had effectively ruled the country. Okay, Mm. So they reinstalled the emperor and set up a kind of um, constitutional-style government. They sent uh, young Japanese uh, scholars abroad to Europe, to North America, to learn everything they could about the modern world. Mm. And they set about creating a modern nation modern oh, nation state of Japan. Yeah. And and you know So just much more outward looking than the Chinese. You just, oh yes. Yeah. Very much so. Mm. And so in eighteen ninety five anyway, Japan claimed Taiwan as sort of war booty in a mm. sense. Uh, so 40, for 50 years the Japanese administered it and apparently the Japanese did a lot of good work in terms of infra- infrastructure. We were talking about infrastructure spending earlier. Mm-hmm. The Japanese put a lot of in- infrastructure spending into Taiwan. They built railways. They developed uh, education systems and industry. A bit like the Romans. Well, Maybe. Yep. They, they, they developed the agriculture. They were exporting rice and sugar to Japan proper. Right. Um, to, you know, yep. to, to help feed Japan's uh, national uh, infrastructure build-up you know, and in- industrialisation. Japan became an industrial country. Okay, so was it, was it, was it like a, a rape of a colony, much like the
1: European powers had, were, were raping their well, colonies? Well, I,
2: su- I suppose you could see it that way. But apparently that a lot of the Taiwanese thought it wasn't a, a terrible thing. Right. Because prior to the Japanese, there was very little development going on, whereas the Japanese actually did try to develop the economy and develop the infrastructure of the place. So there, there were apparently groups of Taiwanese who were very strongly supportive of the Japanese, others who were a bit more nationalistic and wanted a, a kind of independent state in mm-hmm. Taiwan. Um, so it's quite interesting. Mm. Um, of course, in recent years, uh, 19, 1949, the the nationalists in China lost the civil war to the communists, and they retreated, and they took, I think, several million people so, so with so them. The, so the nationalists were uh,
3: Kuomintang, led
2: by Chiang Gu- Kai-shek. Yeah, the Guo, right. Guomin Right. Led by Chiang Kai-shek. Right. Um, that's not how the Chinese pronounce either of them, but... Yep. <laughs> yep.
3: That's, that's <laughs> I just remember Kuomintang from high school, modern yeah. history. Yep.
2: Yep. And they were uh, free market sort of...
3: Well, it
2: was really a military dictatorship for okay. some years, yeah. to be honest. Yep. And, in fact, they, they put down some uprisings very heavy-handedly mm. on a few occasions. Uh, they murdered... Uh, I don't know how many, but a lot of people, a lot of ordinary Taiwanese people were basically shot um, just to quell any uh, discontent, any uprising, you Mm. know. But anyway, they eventually, okay. in the nineteen eighties, they switched from this okay. military dictatorship to okay. a parliamentary democracy. Okay.
1: But uh, sorry, that the, the nationalists they left China for Taiwan yes. when? Yes. Uh, well, they the, they the did the a war.
2: strategic retreat, okay. and that was at the end of the Second World War. Uh, no, at the end of the Chinese Civil War in nineteen forty nine. Okay. The war ended in forty five. Okay. And then the communists and na- nationalists had a civil war. Okay. And by which time Japan had been thrown out of Taiwan because oh, yeah. of the end of the war there. That's right. So
1: Taiwan was just uh, a vacant... Uh, yes. Land. Taiwan,
3: Taiwan yeah. was yeah. part yeah. of China. It was yeah. called Formosa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They were, they were okay. about... had oh,
1: been returned to China as part of the post-war That's sort of... That's right. Uh-huh. Okay. As...
2: And something like yeah. 300,000 Japanese nationals were repatriated... Right. ...after the Second World War ended. They right. were repatriated back to Japan. Yep. And uh, it became – well, it was ruled by the nationalists, obviously, um, from 1914. Well, it was ruled by the nationalists all, all the way through because mm. they were effectively the Chinese government at the end of the Second World War. Yeah. They were officially the Chinese government, the nationalists, right, in all the you know post-war oh. uh, negotiations and treaties. So the United States was allied with the nationalist Chinese government. Which was based in Taiwan at that point. Well, no, it was based in Beijing until 1949.
1: Okay, and at that point, was America still talking to them as the Chinese government? Yes, Yes. and kept going. And for many years after that. Okay, and at some point, they then said, we better swap to the mainland guys.
2: Well, that came with Nixon. Right, okay. So, what year was that? That was in the 70s? 72? I think. Yeah, where Nixon visited China and decided that. To recognize mainland China. Yeah, that that was in America's interests Uh, more than just protecting little Taiwan. Right. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, in the meantime, Taiwan's economy Mm. has gone ahead in leaps and bounds. It used to be. Do you remember people used to talk about the four Asian tigers? It was South Korea, Taiwan. Singapore and Malaysia, I think, wasn't
3: it? I thought it was Malaysia, yeah. Yeah.
2: So Taiwan was really developing much more rapidly, you you would think, than mainland China. Mm. Um, When I was young, if something was bought from... Made in Taiwan, it was yes. considered rubbish. Yes. It was just,
1: it was, oh, look at that, made in Taiwan That's was right. considered a very
2: poor yeah. substitute. It was like when I was a kid, made in Japan was considered yeah. rubbish. And, of course, now made in Japan is, well, just about the best you can it's, get. Yeah, well, It's a selling point <laughs> I use with art supplies that we sell. Okay. Yeah. 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 But, you know, ta- of course now Taiwan is a functioning liberal democracy. It may yes. not be exactly like our liberal democracy, but mm. it is a functioning two-party liberal democracy. Mm. Now the the Kuomintang uh, are out of government at the moment and it's currently led by another party, and I don't recall the name, I'm sorry, but led by a woman. Progressive Party? Something like that. Yes. uh Led by a woman, and she's uh, known to be anti-reunification with China, whereas ironically the the Kuomintang, the nationalists who had fled to Taiwan to escape the communists, now seem to be quite in favour of closer ties with mainland China. It's quite bizarre. Well... They can probably see that the powerful elite get to keep
1: a yes, lot of stuff and make a lot of money. That's right. So and it's the, just
2: the poor plebs are the ones that are probably. under the thumb, basically. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's a very cynical yeah. sort of maneuver, isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
1: So mainland China has never yeah. recognized Taiwan as, as a an independent country. As an independent no, country. And, and you've got experience with
2: Chinese students who. yes, yes. Well, I I worked with a group of uh, high school-aged Chinese students uh, several years ago, and um, one day a new boy had arrived in the class fresh from China, and uh, he was a really bright, really lovely guy, actually, when I got to know him. But uh, the first day in class, I started talking about Taiwan, I don't know why, but I just, I I asked one other student in the room to just go to the map on the wall and point out to me where Taiwan was located. And that was all I was asking him. And this new boy in the class stood up from his chair, walked around the room, stood beside me and said, teacher, you know, and everybody knows, Taiwan is part of China. (laughs) And I was like, "Yes, that's that's nice. Thank you. Could you <laughs> sit down, t- s- take your seat again, please?" <laughs> but um, you know, I understood yeah. where he's coming from because I've studied Chinese history, and and I know that uh, still now, apparently, in schools, Chinese kids are taught there's no such thing as Taiwan. That is China. Well, they are not recognise. They're, even they're, they're the not taught government. anything that clashes with the official party line. Yeah,
1: I've got a couple of Chinese homestay boys,
2: and. And they are taught to hate the Japanese as well, which well, is kind uh, no of sad. one. One his village
1: was ransacked by the Japanese, so he's got a bitter, um, particular bitter view of them. But back to Taiwan, I just sort of needle them occasionally by by suggesting somebody might be Taiwanese and they just you
2: know no 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 Chinese because there's yes. no there's such, no thing, such thing as Taiwanese. Yes. Yes. And and interestingly when, when I uh, I still work with students uh, from Taiwan sometimes in fact mm. quite regularly and they they also can be a little bit touchy about being called Chinese. Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. No doubt. And you say oh you you you're of Chinese culture and they say no Taiwanese and I say yeah yeah I know but Taiwan is part of that Chinese cultural part of the planet. Mm. They say, oh, but I'm Taiwanese. And I say, yes, I understand you're Taiwanese, but you speak a Chinese language. No, I speak Taiwanese. Yes, I know, but Taiwanese (laughs) is a Chinese language. Mm. It's a Chinese language. You can call it, you know, there are many dialects. It's one of them. But, you know, yeah, there is this kind of touchiness. You've got a theory that there's an anniversary coming up. Yes, I have a theory that Mm. there is an anniversary. Well, I don't have a theory about the Mm. anniversary. I know the anniversary is coming up in 2021. In fact, I think it's July. I I previously thought it was September and then I saw something and I had to correct myself. July 2021 is the 100th anniversary of the creation of the Chinese Communist Party. And it was created in Shanghai, I believe. Mm -hmm. But the 100th anniversary is coming up and Xi Jinping, Xi Jinping, being the fairly aggressive uh, nationalistic leader that he is, is, I wouldn't put it past him if he was trying to orchestrate some sort of big event with which to celebrate that 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party, you know, as a kind of crowning achievement Mm. of uh, his rule and of, you know, just something that they can say, see, in 100 years... We've gone from a tiny little cell of communists in, you know, meeting secretly or semi secretly in Shanghai to reunifying Taiwan with the motherland. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't put it past him mm-hmm. if he tried something like that. Of course, the Americans have got to decide which way they're going to uh, bat on this, haven't they? they? They sent a couple of ships through the Taiwanese Strait um, just recently. Right.
1: So, um, so that's your theory. And where um, China is building all of these islands, where they're basically taking mm. rocky outcrops that are submerged at high tide mm. and, and constructing...
2: Uh, Airstrips and yeah. is that, missile batteries is that on them. Is that in between China and Taiwan? No, it's, no, the it's a long side. way from there. No, okay, it's, it's in it's between, the South China Sea. Right. It's down near Vietnam, the Philippines yeah. and Malaysia and Indonesia, in fact. Right, yeah. actually, I'll, uh,
1: I'll put a link, dear listener, on the website. A good point to mention here is dear listener, have you looked for chapter marks yet for this podcast? Because it's possible if your app uh, allows chapter marks, you can I can attach images which you can then see at the relevant point in the podcast. So I'm gonna images going to watch, of you, Fist? Whatever images <laughs> I want to put up that are relevant to this. I'm gonna put up a little map of uh, of what we're talking about yes. here and it will appear on your your podcast player. Now, your normal iTunes or your normal iPhone um, podcast app will not show the pictures. So uh, here's what you need to do. There's a free app for iOS, which is called Overcast. And for Android, there is Pocket Cast. So if you use either of those as an app and muck around, you'll see chapter marks and you'll then be able to look at maps and pictures and things like that that we're talking about. And you can also jump from one topic to another without listening to the whole thing. So, mm. chapter marks. Mm.
3: Overcast.
1: Yeah, overcast for Apple and uh, for Android, pocketcast will make that easier. Mm. So, yeah, so that'll be interesting, 12th Man, to see what happens with Taiwan and China. bit risky, though, for them to invade It would Taiwan.
2: be. I, I can't see a full-scale military invasion... Really happening. Better off just to buy off the elite and guarantee them that they'll get to hold a lot of stuff well, and we'll just let them in peacefully. I've been led to believe that mainland Chinese can can already invest in property in Taiwan. Right. But it would be the Taiwanese worried about losing stuff.
1: So if they can just convince the powerful elite that they'll they'll be better off. Very good, 12th man. Nothing else to add to that? Not, not really. Okay. but well, that's good. See you. Our knowledge of history and geography, for me, it's extremely Mm -hmm. poor when it comes to Asia. You Mm -hmm. learn more about European and American history than you do about our closest neighbours. Right. um, There's an article from Crikey about the Murdoch Empire. And, look, it can't be long before Rupert drops off the perch.
2: Oh, he's only 90 or something, isn't he? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) But he's... um,
1: It can't be long. You sort of think, well, the whole edifice has been constructed by this guy. Maybe when he departs, it will become a more normal organisation perhaps. (laughs) Do you know what his sons are like? Well, that's the point. Um,
3: (laughs) Lachlan is a hell of a lot more conservative than the old man is.
1: Yes. So Lachlan, who's in favour at the moment um, and is the one likely to take over, is extremely conservative, dear listener. Like terribly so, Mm. and it's not going to improve um, once there's a handover. So there's a bit of a link to an article from Crikey and the extracts from that. But um, So the other brother, James, he seemed to be um, not quite so bad, but I'll just quote part of the article here. Um, James went so far as to put out personal statements in response to the violent 2017 Charlottesville neo-Nazi rally. Lachlan, meanwhile, reportedly once went into the office of one of News Corp's Australian papers to complain about an editorial in favour of same-sex marriage during last year's postal vote. Hmm. And he believes global warming gets too much attention. So... And he's probably not a vegan. Who knows? So, yeah. Um, Funerals are better without funeral eulogies, declares a bishop.
3: This really stuck in my throat.
1: <laughs> A senior Catholic bishop has banned family members from giving eulogies at funeral services really? in his diocese.
2: Why, why would he do that?
3: God alone knows why. Because apparently the fact that I got up and gave my mum's eulogy was somehow offensive to him because it should have been given by the minister or the Protestant.
2: So you started this, Scott?
3: Well, apparently so, yes. Yeah.
1: I find um, funerals that are dominated by, by
2: clerics. religious bullshit. <laughs> oh, my God, they're painful, aren't they? They are, and it's so... I, know, a- I, I went to my, my uncle's funeral some time ago and he was speaking as if he was this really devout religious man and I knew that he, he, he had very little interest in the church at all. Mm. It's just bullshit. And I, I really was tempted to stand up... You know, like, like a character in a cartoon, you know, like that, that old lunatic cartoon where the, um, the devil walks into the church and yells out, bulldust! <laughs> <You know. laughs> I wanted to stand up and, and shout it. But mm. I didn't, of course. I, yeah. Well, I, I hope too. to be attending
3: both your funerals rather than the other way around. But right. <laughs> <laughs> on the assumption that I go before you two gents, um, I'm, my instructions are to cremate without delay yeah. and if you want to have a funeral service, you can have it around an urn of ashes. Okay. <laughs> right, okay. Cremate,
1: cremate without, without delay. Our funerals are going to take forever because we're going to have to play all the extracts from these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Special edition. Yeah, that's
1: right. It'll be, it'll be a special, lengthy edition podcast. Eul- eulogy yeah, yeah, yeah. edition
2: You're yeah.
3: from beyond the grave. <laughs> yeah, it will be.
1: We'll yeah. go on forever. Mm. Right. Um, let me see what else did I have to say here. Oh, um, I've been reading a book. I finished reading it. I'll, I'll talk about it next week. But it was looking at all of these right-wing think tank organisations that um, cropped up and heavily influenced. Our federal politicians, and one of the things that uh, the guys who did them said was that uh, obviously they were good for influencing public opinion because they encouraged people to write, you know, articles for newspapers, and politicians would come to meetings and things. But it was just the social get together, face to face meetings, were really valuable for networking. And we're not doing enough face to face meetings, gentlemen. We need to with her. with. Uh, Free-thinking Brisbaneites, like like Harry. <laughs> Here we go. What timing? Harry, can you hear me?
5: Hey, Trevor, how's it going?
1: Yeah, pretty good. We're in the middle of our podcast, Harry, and this is perfect timing. <laughs> Do you need a pseudonym, Harry, for the podcast, or are you just happy to go with Harry?
5: Oh, I think I'm happy to go with Harry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sounds like and, and are you able to talk freely about the work that you do, Harry, or is it, you know, was it hush hush? Somewhat. Okay. So I'm I'm putting you forward, Harry, as my expert on on the recharging of electric cars. And could you sort of indicate? That's risky, right? <laughs> well, in my small circle, you are the expert, Harry. <laughs> It's a low bar and you've made it. But hey, (laughs) so um, you're working for a company that is making car charging stations in Australia and is making them for the Australian market and also exporting them around the world. Is that correct? Yep. Right. Right. Uh, And Australia's got quite a significant sort of share of the market for this sort of stuff.
5: No, actually, Australia. It's funny that we manufacture in Australia because only about 1% of our charges stay in Australia.
1: Yeah, okay. So a lot. Of, where are they going?
5: Europe and America mostly. So right now we'd probably have about 20% going to America and then 70% to Europe. Right. And across Europe it's uh, in specific locations as well. So Norway is a, a huge one for us. They're our, our biggest market.
2: What right. about Finland? <laughs>
5: uh, I'm not sure each country's <coughs> exact details, but uh, the Scandinavian countries are definitely up there.
1: Okay. So we're manufacturing car charging sort of equipment and shipping it off to Norway. D- DC
5: electric f- car fast chargers.
1: Right. So, in um, in like if you were to go to Norway, was it likely that you'd be using one of our chargers or would it be, do you know? what Yeah, definitely. Right. Okay. So... Um, uh, so, Harry... the sort of con-
5: uh, oh, Sorry to cut you off. Uh, the, the sort of countries that have it are often smaller ones because everyone is worried about the distances that you have to drive. So, uh, and uh, first world countries normally. But um, New Zealand actually has a large electric car charging network, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Australia is a very small one.
1: Right, yep. And so, facts and figures, Harry, like the technology is going to change... Currently, what's what's it like as the experience of, of charging your average electric car? Like, how long do people people do it overnight in their homes, typically, and are just a little top up as they're driving around, or how's it? What's a typical experience? How long does it take?
5: <laughs> because it's a new market, I'm not sure there's really a typical yet. But what all the cars are different, and that's the the biggest thing. So for Most users right now, they would just charge at home overnight, and that's more than sufficient. A lot of the – most people's cars will be able to last them a week or two between charges. Um, So maybe they just top it up overnight, or maybe they don't bother a lot of the time. Some people will only use a DC fast charger at one specific location, and they'll go there and grab a coffee. Other people will have them at their work. There's different use cases for everyone. Yep because every car is different. Some cars have a range of 80 kilometers, some cars have a range of 500 kilometers.
1: Right. Yep. But for most people who are just commuting, they can get several commutes in without a recharge. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yep. Yep. So what's going to happen for somebody like in Australia, if you're in Sydney and you're wanting to drive to Canberra for the weekend or or you know, towing your your camper van as Scott Morrison might declare (laughs) because he's saying that's just going to end the weekend for Australians, that you won't be able to tow your camper van to a camping spot uh, several hours away and get back. And that's that's shortly before the end of the world, which was predicted by somebody else. So, like, is it, can you realistically go camping with an electric car? Uh,
5: How far would it be from Sydney to Canberra? In kilometres?
1: Um, I think it's about a three-hour drive normally. It's, I mean, it's it's a bit less. 300, so, yeah, 300. Yeah. 250 to yeah. 300 kilometres, yeah.
5: Yeah, so most cars, electric cars, could do that now. The newer ones could. But having said that, there's uh, now an electric car charging network set up from Cairns all the way down the highway, uh, Brisbane, Sydney, uh, Canberra, Melbourne, all the way around to Adelaide. So they've set up this infrastructure to allow people to do those sort of trips.
1: Right. As well. Okay. And how long would you be expecting to, st- like, okay, you're you I'm going to drive to Cairns in an electric car, and uh, I'm going to go pretty much as far as I can before recharging and then stop somewhere and charge. So am I stuck somewhere then for, like, four hours waiting for this thing to charge? Is that no, right? right? No, uh,
5: no. 20, 20 minutes. Really? But, um. It, yeah, sorry, multiple 20-minute trips, okay. uh, multiple 20-minute stops. So it depends on the location uh, you charge. So if you pull off at a fast charger, you're talking 20 minutes. If you just use a wall socket, an AC wall socket, you could be there for 10 hours. Right. So that's the big difference. That's why we developed these fast chargers to allow people to charge that much faster.
1: Right, Yep. okay. And uh, – down the track it's not inconceivable that uh, in- technology will improve and you could fill up a, a you know your battery car in in eight minutes and
5: uh, yeah so right now the limitations are in the batteries the we could design charges to charge a car in a minute or even faster if a battery could handle it yeah. but battery technology is only so good and you hear this in multiple cases in with capacity and size and weight and everything charging speed is just another limitation that they currently have right but what will likely happen going forward is that the access to chargers will just be there'll be so much access to them that it won't become that much of an issue. You'll go to the shops and there'll be charges there and maybe different shopping centres offer incentives for you to go. They'll offer you free charging so that you go there or your house will have a charger, your workplace will have a charger, your apartment will have a charger. There'll be these opportunities for a lot of people. And if you only need to charge once a week, once every two weeks, it, it doesn't really matter. It there'll be ample opportunity for you to do so. Yep. And it shouldn't impact your day-to-day life.
1: Yep. And in your humble opinion, Harry, you know, a target that 50% of vehicles sold in 2030 would be electric cars, do you think that's going to be tough to achieve or is it do it in a canter?
5: I think that would be very tough. All right. Uh, How many many people... Sorry, what was it? What did you say? Fifty percent of cars to of, be sold of, of,
1: of new cars. You know, yeah, you know, cars sold in the year two
5: thousand and thirty. So well, that's just there won't. One of the biggest problems is there's not that many options. Right. So right now, I think in Australia you can buy five or ten different types. There's a lot more in Europe, mm-hmm. but that will improve. But in twenty thirty, there there'll be significantly more petrol or diesel engines compared to electric cars, that the use case won't be there for everyone. I right. think it would be very unlikely. Having said that, it very much depends on tax incentives. So Norway is almost at a critical point where they could be selling electric car more electric cars than petrol, and that's to do with tax discounts that they have. Right. Similar things are happening over in California um and other places in the world so when the government gets on board and provides tax advantages to do so then you see a huge shift in buyer behavior but right now in australia there the advantages aren't there and the dc charging infrastructure isn't really there and there's limited options on what you could buy
1: yep
5: and that isn't changing very quickly
1: so between say brisbane and cairns how many how many charging stations would there be
5: Oh, I'd need to look that up. Oh. Uh, if it's about two thousand kilometres, probably ten. Right. But I, I'd have to look it up. I don't know that number. Of- and are of they me. just
1: at standard like service station, roadhouse sort of places? Are they? Um. Is- yeah. Right. Yep.
5: They're they're, they're in random places. Uh, um, different car, different places by them. I only know where ours are. Sorry, so yeah. I can't give a good answer.
1: Yep. And so- are yours in like roadhouses? Or are they in shopping centres, or are they in private businesses?
5: A lot of the time, they're uh, government buildings, so or oh. universities, that oh, sort of okay. thing.
1: Right. Yep.
5: So, for example, UQ has one.
1: Right. Yep.
5: And then, at, so in Brisbane, there's the one at UQ, and there's one at Hamilton near the um, the uh, the cruise terminal.
3: Yep. Yep. So, how do you get charged and that sort of stuff? Do you just Wave a credit card over a thing for it or not?
5: (laughs) This is currently an issue we're facing. So right now, there's multiple different providers. Um, So actually, this is a different answer for every country. In Australia, they're pretty much all free, but that will change. And right now, what's happening in other countries is that there's multiple charge point operators that have bought charges and then sell them on their own different plan. The problem is, you may, as a user, you may have tef- 10 different companies' charges that you can use. That means you need 10 different plans that are all controlled by a little RFID token. And yeah. there needs to be some de- development done on that to standardize on a single product. And credit cards are likely going to be an option, but people like having an account linked to it because then you can get free charging or discounted charging or bundle deals or. Mm. That's a whole other market that will develop.
1: Right. So at the moment, they're all free, or nearly all of them. So if you've got an, In electric, Australia. an electric car, you drive to Cairns and the, the fuel is free. Amazing.
5: I think. Having said that, government I haven't government. actually done that. I, I know these plans are, are going to happen. I don't yep. know the status of them yet. Yep.
1: But at the moment, I could drive to UQ with my, with my
2: electric car if I had one and fill up for free.
3: Exactly, yeah. Pretty sure,
2: yeah. Right. Really? Wow. The government is uh, standing to lose a lot of excise <coughs> tax. Yes. If Absolutely. If, yes. That if there's a lot of electric cars, then there won't so be as much So they'll have fuel to and... find another way to uh, get money out well, of people. Well, that's the
3: way they're going to have to. They'll have to modify the whole registration and they'll have to have some sort of system where you let them know how many kilometres you've, you've driven in a year and that will work out what the charge is.
1: Mm. Yeah, they'll have to introduce all that.
3: Mm.
5: There's, um, I, I think I, I wouldn't mind talking about something that could actually happen if a lot of electric cars uh, are being used at the same time. And that's it, it entirely changes your energy demand that a country would need. So right now, there's a, a an energy demand that people have and not many people are using batteries. But if a lot of people had electric cars, that's basically batteries that people are driving around in. And then there's options for people to, in the future, they'll be able to power their house off a battery. And we're looking, even our company is looking into deals with solar panels as well, so that people can become isolated. They can use their car as a battery and their solar panel to charge it. And then they can feed their house off the battery, uh, greatly reducing their grid demand. And then we see it in the future happening that workplaces or shopping centers or things like that will be offering free charging for people and suddenly with everyone having batteries there'll be a lot less demand on the the electrical grid. And then taking that a step further, as car you'll have all these electric cars that as they age, their batteries uh, degrade. Hmm. There'll be a huge secondary market for used car batteries, which still have ninety or eighty percent capacity, but are no longer you'd be able to be used in cars. They'll be very cheap for people to put into their houses ah. and, and then suddenly everyone will have cheap access to big batteries that they can use. So this is something that our company has been looking into slightly and could greatly change the whole energy market that we have right now and plays interestingly into the current energy issues that are going on.
1: Yeah, that is interesting because that was one of the things I was going to say was the talk is that, you know, what do you do with these batteries? Yeah, what's the lifespan of a battery,
2: Mm. one of these car
1: batteries?
5: So the batteries, a lot of people think of batteries like they think of their laptop batteries or their phone batteries. Car batteries are very different because they're different chemical makeup. They don't degrade nearly as fast and they're a lot more safe and reliable so with phone batteries they need to pack as much energy density into a smaller form factor as possible and to be as cheap as possible car batteries i can't afford to do that so while your phone battery may only have 50 percent of its power left after two or three years a car battery will have 90 percent after five years so they're a lot more reliable from that perspective yep. and there will be a lot safer as well
1: right.
5: so you won't have cars just exploding right. like a, some phones have been known to do
1: Right.
2: Can I ask, what, what sort of um, materials are required to create these batteries for manufacturing?
5: Uh, <laughs> everyone is different, but uh, mm. lithium, nickel, aluminium, co- cobalt. um
1: Cold tan? Have you heard of that one? No. Uh, it's, it, there's That's a lot alone. of it in Venezuela, and they oh. use it in... Actually, they may not use it in batteries, they use it in mobile phones.
5: Yeah, yeah. I think I actually have heard of that, but I don't mm. know the details.
1: Mm. What else do we need to know about car batteries, Harry? Or are we now fully au okay fait with the, the entire industry? <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: what
5: what did you want to know? So you came into this saying that you had a side, and knowing your podcast, I'm sure you have a side of some type. What, uh, well, what, no, what did re- you
1: want to know? Well, it was just because... Uh, Bill Shorten had come out. He was interviewed on a radio program and they said, you know, well, how long does it take to charge a, a car? And he said, oh, I don't know. It depends how much charge is in it. And I said, well, how long? And he said, oh, depending, might be eight minutes. And and people sort of then went to town on him and said, well, no, it takes 10 hours, you fool. You don't know what you're talking about. And so I've just been hearing discussions saying that that it's just going to be really difficult and cumbersome for Australia to transition. So... I wanted to know how easy it was going to be. So I didn't have a position, Harry, on this one. Like, I don't come into into things. But, you know, Harry, we've got to move along on this podcast because we're already over the hour mark. And I know that you get really upset if it goes for longer than an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing, Harry, is you're in your 20s. And I've been, you know, railing against baby boomers for a while now. Are you angry with baby boomers yet? Has has any of my indoctrination started to take root? Are you starting to get pissed off with the likes of your father and your mother and people like
5: that? Uh, For certain topics, yes.
1: Right. Okay. Yep. A little bit. Okay. Let's progress. A little
5: bit. (laughs) Sometimes sometimes you make a compelling argument.
1: Okay. Good. Well, Harry, that was it. I didn't, have a, I didn't want to have an argument about it. I just wanted information. So, you there you go. So, yeah. Very, very interesting, but, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
5: It is definitely an early industry in Australia. And right now, being real, there are some difficulties being an electric car owner. There's not that many DC fast charging locations. So, in reality, most people do do a long charge, but... The technology is there for that to change. It's not like that in other countries. Australia is just lagging. And once public perception changes and the government attitude changes towards it, mm. I think it'll be a fast change. But right now, we're going slower than most countries. Right.
1: Very good, Harry. All right. Good note to uh, end on. No? More? More or not? There was a butt coming No, no, in. that's it. Okay. No, no. no. <laughs> All right. Good on you, Harry. Thanks for making the time, mate, and um, we'll catch up soon. All right. See you guys. Okay, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks, Bye. Harry. Harry's one of our patrons. Yeah.
2: Interesting. Yeah, he is. Yeah, so, sounds like a interesting, so, bright young
1: guy. It's an interesting stage of life when, you're, when your kids and your friends of your kids are old enough... To be really smart about different things, uh, <laughs> teacher stuff—it's good, you know. Because I can remember Harry when he was, you know, just a little knee-high to a grasshopper. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, maybe not that little, but you know, grade primary school anyway. Yeah. 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 So, uh, look, maybe a good time to thank the patrons. Um, starting at the top, Sean Janelle Craig John. Also, I thought I should mention some anniversaries. So, Landon joined us in. April 2017, and Waino joined us in, uh, oh no, actually, uh, Jimmy Spud joined us in April 2018. So, happy anniversary as patrons, and also Waino was one of our patrons, and he arrived at his workplace uh, today, or yesterday, and just missed ScoMo, so... Oh, really? Yes, so... (laughs) Apparently his boss was happy to see that he'd missed him because he wasn't sure how Wayne no, was no. going to react. <laughs> Just go, mate. Good on you, Waino. Uh Also thanks to Ayame, Alison, Steve, Tony, Caitlin, Watley, Jimmy Spud again, Kane, Bronwyn, Matt J, Robbie, Rod, Palais, Matic Man, Dominic, Liam, Dave, Karen, Daniel, Harry, uh, <laughs> Gavin, Peter, Captain Doomsday, Aidan, Wheat Watcher, and new uh, patron, Nico. Good on you, Nico, for thanks for coming on board. Um, Also, thanks to our non-patrons, Dean, Ken, was the beneficiary, and David. And we've got a new beer sponsor, hopefully we can announce next week. Um, (laughs) Dear listener, if you want to be a beer sponsor, there's a, um, a link on the website now. So where you can look at BWS and um, Caitlin, if you're going to come on board, we don't care what sort of beer. So just pick any and surprise us. That would exactly, be good.
3: Caitlin. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, if you want to be a beer sponsor, send us an email because we need to give you a phone number that you can then put on the order with BWS. So um, that's that. So thank you to all of the sponsors. So Thank
3: you very much to Woz, Wano, Landon, Bronwyn, Dave, Adam, Landon again, and
1: potentially Caitlin. Mm. Thank you um, I think We've probably gone Nearly close to an hour And Rather than Diving into deep I think that's a pretty good Point to stop You're not worried about
3: uh, Upsetting Landon again
1: Ah oh, Landon <laughs> <laughs> See if we keep Landon happy Then then Harry's not happy Because Harry finds He doesn't like it If it goes much beyond an hour So <laughs> My wife doesn't like it But then other people Like Was, was Loves like a it, long yeah. episode yeah. Um, So There we go Yeah Um, Haven't had any iTunes reviews For a long time That's easy to do Hop on and do that Um, Hop on and get one of those apps So that you can check out the chapter marks And otherwise um, We will leave you with another Sammy J sort of piece Which we'll be playing as we're signing off And until next time uh, Bye for now Thank you very much for tuning in Bye now Bye everyone
0: Brendan Nelson in 07 Abbott in 09 Turnbull 2015 The ScoMo last in line well, I served every leader Till their dying day but Now the sun is setting on me What more can I say? But I'll always be your number two As long as ties are blue I'll always be your number two And when I leave, you'll say I had no
4: shoes Her successor will have big shoes to fill and we all know Julie has the best shoes in the Parliament.
0: Twenty-one years of service in the Parliament, 11 as your deputy But when my chance came to lead you You smiled and said to me That I'll always be your number two Thanks for the work you do But you better off as number two and don't forget Really like your shoes.
3: Can you see a point where the Liberal Party will bring itself to elect a popular female leader? Well, when we find
2: one, I'm sure they will.
0: Twenty-one years of service in the parliament, but one thing that I couldn't believe. When it came to a vote between me and Peter Dutton Put me down as number three And I sure fronted Putin I was queen of making deals But the liberal party ladder It's quite hard to climb in heels I guess I'll always be your number two I did everything a man could do But you can't list my achievements You just say I have nice shoes After everything I did for you I'm glad you like my shoes